Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast with me, Laura Rowe, the editor. This week, travel editor Rhiannon talks through some of the do's and don'ts of eating out with kids and she picks out the best places in Bristol to keep all ages happy just now. Food director Janine and I talk about the wonders of fermenting and pickled egg sandwiches. And web editor Alex met with one of our favourite food Instagrammers, Ros Atkinson, aka Her Dark Materials, straight from the Cotswolds, to discuss how to make your own liqueurs, along with foodie photography tips for your own Instagram account. First up, here's travel editor Rhiannon. Hello, it's Alex here, and I'm here with our travel editor, Rhiannon Batten. Um, Rhiannon's quite local to Bristol, and we've been talking a lot about Bristol recently because there's so much going on there for foodies. But Rhiannon, you've gone at it a bit of a different way, haven't you? Because you've got two young children. So we're going to talk a little bit about eating out with kids. That's right. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Bristol has such a booming food scene at the moment. And most of those places like Boxy, Bullrush, Adelina Yard, Pastoloco, Wilson's, probably lots of others I'm forgetting, um, are places I'd probably rather enjoy without my children in tow. But um, we happened to be in Bristol for a kind of kid-friendly weekend a few weekends ago. And there were some brilliant places to eat out as a family. Yeah. So Um, what what were your top places to eat with with the kids, do you think? Well, I should also say that my two are under five. so They're very um, cute, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, So they are very little. It might be different if you're in town with teenagers. But um, so I, I would definitely start with Cargo, which is down on Wapping Wharf and... If people are visiting Bristol, they'll probably be down that way anyway because it's close to all the big attractions like the okay. SS Great Britain. Um, and we actually spent a lot of time in that area because we were staying on the waterfront there in a very cool new hostel called the Kyle Blue, mm. which is set in an old boat, but it's a kind of designer hostel and you can take up a whole room if you're a family. Oh, brilliant. Um, and it was really lovely because it was right in the centre of Bristol, but... It felt a bit quieter in the evening and you woke up to kind of rowers on the oh. water passing and it was really lovely. So I'm guessing it's not like hostelers in party Thailand hostel type <laughs> luckily, thing. Luckily not the night we were there. No. <laughs> Good. Um, but... Um, Cargo is also in that area, I should say, so Wapping Wharf. And that's a really kind of zeitgeisty spot. It's a collection of cafes, bars and restaurants um, throughout a kind of Lego-like stack of shipping containers. And the original version includes Boxy, but a new extension, Cargo 2, has just opened. And now you can get everything from Greek-style street food and posh sausage rolls to veggie curries and sourdough pizzas, um, all very kind of simply and um, easily. The most family-friendly of the lot is um, Salt and Malt, which is a second branch of Josh Eggleton's fish and chip shop. When we hadn't quite opened when we were there, so we didn't eat there, but we have been to his original Salt and Malt just south of Bristol in the yes. Chew Valley um, a few times. And the fish and chips is brilliant, but if you don't love fish and chips, they also do a really good fish soup. So Ooh. I'm sure... Um, and they, they do children's portions and things oh great okay so I'm sure that's going to be a really um great one with kids yeah Um, we we um actually interviewed um Josh Eggleston on our podcast um a few months ago um so yeah if anybody wants to find out a bit more about that then have a have a listen to that um but so did you come across any other great 
discoveries for kids? Um, well, they've been around for a long time, but the city's two best-known city farms are a great discovery for us because they both have really good cafes for kids. St. Werber's is... I'm, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. Anyone who lives in Bristol might say that's not how you say it, but um, I'm going to call it St. Werber's. It's a, it's a bit more hippie-ish, and everything's served on gorgeous handmade crockery, and they make really delicious cakes and juices. Um, and then the other one is Windmill Hill... Um, city farm and their cafe has just reopened in a much larger space when we were there it hadn't quite opened and um, so the cafe was squished into a temporary site but it had a really good menu especially for little children who I think often get kind of ignored on even on children's menus so and you're they, talking about the really young kids yeah, yeah. toddlers and um, not school age yet so you could get um Plates of vegetable sticks and hummus and homemade chilies or very mild ones and soups, the kind of soup, homemade, wholesome soups that your granny would make, but in really dinky portions. Oh, lovely. Um, with, you know, maybe a little side thing of fresh fruit. So it's, that was great for us. But for a sit-down meal, um, we really liked Boca Bar, which has, um, it's quite a sustainable, it's got quite a sustainable ethos and it's kind of quite industrial inside lots of space you don't feel self-conscious when your children are they're making noise or whatever um and but a very chilled vibe and uh a lot of west country food which is and drink which is really nice uh meze platters pizzas roasts um but you could also just go for a coffee and um toast uh, they also have toys and things for children to play with which is always good to keep them um, from totally going mad and yeah. running around. Um, but, uh, you know, it's nice if you are there without kids. You don't have to have kids to go there. But I, I thought that was great. Um, and there was another place. I mean, Bristol has such a good kind of ethical ethos generally. And there's another place called Number One Harborside right in the city centre, which has a really high rating from the Sustainable Restaurant Association. And the food there is great. I had a gorgeous Buddha bowl with lemongrass spiked salad, smoky hummus and roast veg. And their children's menu had, um, you know, what you want, a really simple home-cooked tomato pasta dish. Um, and I can't remember, lots of other good things. Um, and again, the space was relaxing with toys for children and plenty of space between tables. So we didn't feel like we were dominating the space too much or making too much noise. Okay, yeah, good. Um, I haven't been to the city's Tarly cafes yet, but... Um, they have really interesting children's menus designed by Mira Soda, which look really great. And our two love mild curries, so I'm sure they yeah. would be a big hit. Great. Well, yeah, they all sound great. But do, were there any places that weren't such a hit, if I may say? Um, well, I'd, I'd done quite a lot of research beforehand, and I had it down to almost a kind of military-style operation in Bristol. <laughs> nice. Um, so we didn't have any nightmares there, but we have had our share elsewhere um i mean i generally i don't like it's, it's hard to get a children's menu right i think or, yeah um, i can imagine you know i don't like these really fussy tasting menus for kids or really lavish children's afternoon teas it, it probably sounds a bit militant but i don't think children should be eating in that way um no six-year-old really needs a three-tier cake stand um <laughs> what's wrong <laughs> with just a toasted yeah. tea cake sugar overload um and ice cream is one of my bugbears so uh, often you you go to places and the children even for a tiny child they get this massive um portion and when you think how small a three-year-old's tummy yeah. is i know i probably sound like i'm a bit of a killjoy <laughs> but um 
and just seems way too much. But in Bristol, we found this uh, swoon gelato, which has actually opened in my hometown of Bath since then as well. Oh, great. And they um, make the most delicious ice cream or gelato. Um, and they do a bambino size portion, which I love for just that reason. Yeah. It's just right. Perfect. <laughs> um, and it's really good stuff. Um, uh, you know, as an adult, I would definitely be hanging out there. It, their chocolate sorbetto is really creamy for something that doesn't actually have cream in it. Yeah, um, that sounds great for yeah for adults as well. <laughs> um, are there any places that are aimed like 100% at families? Because all of these places, obviously it's great, they have a children's menu and everything, but is there any anywhere a bit more completely family-friendly that you would suggest? Well, um, we didn't go to anywhere like that in Bristol. I think those places do have their place. I recently went to visit family in Yorkshire and had my three-year-old with me. And we'd spent a lot of time in the car one day and I wanted to find somewhere where he could run around. But it was pouring down, so I quickly Googled and found a pub that had a soft play centre attached to it. And he had a climb and a play and a plate of sausage and mash. And that was just what we needed. And no one goes to those kind of places for the food. Um, but sometimes they're just what you need. Um, and I personally, you know, I don't like eating places where the walls are plastered with cartoon characters and the pizzas come kind of dotted to make a kind of smiley face out of peppers mm. and things. But a I tweet. don't want... It is a bit, isn't it? But, um, but I also don't want to make my children sit through a kind of ridiculously grown-up meal that's not really appropriate for them so I think what's worked for us is finding places that serve things that children generally like eating which is really good sausages pizzas fish fingers that kind of thing but made with really good ingredients and um or the other thing in our family is Turkish food that's always a winner with our kids okay um, like more warm, messy picking. yeah the things that they can just kind of dip warm flat breads and um lots of dippy things they and grilled meats and rice they just love um but i don't know if that's just r2 yeah so well so um it's it's nice to hear because so it's like family friendly meals are definitely still possible like while having an enjoyable experience because i can imagine it can be quite stressful but it sounds like you've had some good experiences yes definitely um i think timing probably has almost as much to do with it as the setting you know you can ask a four-year-old to sit still until you're blue in the face but that's not really fair on them they'll do it for a minute or two and then they genuinely forget and start wriggling about under the table or blowing bubbles through their straws or in a worst case scenario making a break for it um but so it's great when you find places that you like that have enclosed gardens or playrooms so they can get down and run around while you finish your meal but those things aren't essential um the other thing i suppose it's probably sounds obvious but um most young children need to eat well before six o'clock mm -hmm. and most adults who don't want to be around small children don't book tables until much later so actually places that offer all-day dining um are a good way to avoid a culture clash yeah um and simplicity and speed are good in bristol we love pie shop for that reason it's a um got, i think we've done a review of it in olive we before have, yes. and it's a On gourmet that's right it's a gourmet pizza joint that's stylish enough um, and has a nice enough cocktail and pizza menu Good. to feel really indulgent for adults. But it also caters well for children in the early evening. And because it's pizza, all the food comes quickly, so there's no time for children to get too fidgety. And the pizzas are really delicious. They do a really good one with nduja and burrata and roast red peppers. Um, and a, and a simple children's pizza um, with homemade tomato sauce and cheese. It's just some, yeah, simple. Simple, what, but what good. Do, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And some go even further. I mean, we, I remember going to the Idle Rocks in St. Moore's in Cornwall a while ago, and that has a whole children's playroom. Um, and also Watergate Bay, which we've got a review yes, on olivemagazine.com, um, is also in Cornwall. And that's got a staffed crash, so you can actually oh, wow. leave them and go and have your meal in peace. But right. um, I don't think that it has to be about that. You know, it's, it's just basically fitting it around them so yeah. that it works and then you can relax and everyone's happy. Right. So what about lunchtime? Like, is that a similar operation? <laughs> I, um, for us, I think lunchtimes are a bit more problematic, but you have to do what suits your family, really. There was a time when it was just too stressful to go out to eat with our two, so we stopped doing it, really. Um, you know, meals out are so expensive and not really enjoyable if you spend the whole time trying to do crowd control. So we... Um, decided to just save up and spend some money on a babysitter occasionally so that we could go out for the odd grown-up dinner in peace. Um, But now the boys are a bit older, we're starting to find places at work for us again. And I think that's really important because eating out isn't just about filling stomachs and trying new new flavours. It shows children how to have a conversation and how to interact socially. Yeah, definitely. Um, How to say please and thank you. Of course. It sounds twee, but um, in this world where we're all rushing around all the time, multitasking and not really concentrating, um, sitting down together for a meal is a really precious thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, around the table. Like, but yeah, it's just like you're saying, like manners and knowing how to hold a conversation. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important. Yeah. So, oh, well, thanks. That's really interesting. I don't, I, I don't have kids myself, but when I do, I will definitely come back to this. Oh, you can come back tips. and say, Rhiannon, you've got it all wrong. <laughs> No, it sounds like you've got it cracked. So, yeah, thanks for your tips. Thank you. Next, here's Janine and I talking about fermenting. Uh, Hello, this is Laura, the editor, and I am with Janine, our lovely food director. Hello. Hello. Um, Today we're talking about fermenting, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Um, What what the hell does fermenting mean? (laughs) Well, we've got a lowdown in our our current issue on fermenting, um, and it's it's about wild fermenting, Mm -hmm. and this is a really interesting sort of entry-level fermentation, because um, the author of the piece Sharon Flynn has, has written a whole book on fermenting and it's a big solid book I mean yeah. there's a lot there's, it's a huge subject a <laughs> um, and we asked her if she could kind of simplify it down for us and yeah. just just give us like a, a, a method where people can you know like a starter kind of method of how to get into it yeah so um so so in this instance um fermenting is taking a vegetable um Making a salt brine, okay. which is salt and water. Yeah. Um, salt dissolves in water. And we give the um, proportions and ratios yeah. within that feature. So it's in the issue, but it's also online now at olivemagazine.com yeah, as well. Yeah, that's right. Isn't it? So there's, there's different ratios of, um, of, of brine that you can do depending on how salty that you want to make it. Um, so, so basically, what you're doing is you're, you're salting your water, you're adding flavorings if you want to, and then you're, you're burying your veg in that water and leaving it for time and it, what she says about well fermentation is it's not it all you're really doing is using the environment yeah. and your vegetables to make the ferment you okay. don't need anything else you're not using any starter culture or anything right, okay it's very very simple okay. and it's a very ancient way of doing it yeah. but there are obviously rules about yeah. what you need to do because yes, there's always there rules yeah um so you don't you don't need any specialist equipment. No. But um, in terms of when you are fermenting, we've we've got a recipe for for doing dill pickles 
what you need to do is to have your fermenting vegetable underneath the brine yeah. so it's anaerobic so that yeah. so no oxygen can get to it um so, so you should just using something like half an onion or if you've got like a grape grape leaf apparently is a, is a common one i mean who knew, I, yeah. <laughs> who knew? Uh, if you happen to have um grape leaves lying yeah, around or maybe, growing on yeah, the terrace and I, I guess grape leaves are quite big in um you know mediterranean yeah. countries aren't they i reckon lots of our listeners and readers will have a, a vine growing in yeah. their back garden <laughs> for those that don't live in a city or you can use half an onion yeah. or uh, another trick is for something like uh, cucumbers you um you just wedge them in so tightly that they hold each other down <sighs> yeah, yeah. And then it's just a case of um, leaving it in a, in a it's, it's actually at room temperature. You, you put it in a, um, a clip seal jar, room temperature, and you're leaving it for like five to 10 days for the ferment to start happening. The one thing you do have to do because it will start producing gas right. is you have to open the jar every just day. Just have a just little have breather, a little breather yeah. <laughs> and close the jar. Um, and what she says is it, you start using your kind of your sensors. And after about five days, mm. you'll, you'll sort of open the jar like nick a little piece off have a taste <laughs> see if it's to your because yeah. what will start happening is um the process is you know that the structure of the vegetable starts changing mm-hmm. um they become sourer but yeah. but like in a in a pleasantly Pleasant sour way. way yeah um and and you know you'll get to sort of your level of sourness or the flavor that you want um especially if you've added spices and herbs and stuff they'll they'll reach a certain point where you're happy with it and then you transfer it to the fridge, and what that does is it stops the fermentation, okay. or at least it slows, slows it right it down. down. So, so it gets that flavour, yeah. and then you're, that's your good, yeah. good flavour. But it's a really beautiful way of doing it, because when you think about it, you've got everything you need in your kitchen, yeah. and, you, and it's, it's all about you. Like, you're yeah. the person that controls yeah. it. You're, like, the master of it. You just, <laughs> um, it. It is just you investing your time and your senses into kind of yeah. creating this thing. Which is really good, actually, because it does hold your hand properly and yeah. tell you how to Takes do it. Takes you through it. Whilst giving you the freedom to give you uh, the flavours that you yeah. want so yeah in terms of vegetables she says don't use soft vegetables because yeah, obviously they'll says, break down she says quickly. like if you use you know green chlorophyll rich vegetables yeah. are not good for this they'll kind of go a bit slimy mushy yeah, which you don't want. so thing, things like carrots uh, green beans cauliflower yeah. they'll be they'll stay nice they'll have a nice crunch you want like keep, a hard yeah. vegetable to yeah. start with don't you yeah and they'll keep their colour and hopefully you know they'll keep a bit of their crunch as well mm. so in, our, in the picture from the feature there's a big jar of um, fermenting Sweet corn, yeah. um, corn on the uh, cob, and they corn look cob. really interesting. Yeah. I'd like to try that at home. Yeah, um, and and it's um, it isn't it? I mean, I know that um, you know, there's various health benefits, mm. but they do say that um, fermented foods, you you know, it, you, what you're doing is you're producing living bacteria, mm. yeasts, and enzymes, and that is meant to um, benefit your gut. Yeah, you know, and if you're a fan of that, then this is a way that you can get that without you know buying your probiotic yeah it's just helping to aid digestion isn't it it's kind of an age-old thing of of lots of different cultures have a a pickle or a a, a fermented product on the side you know you think of kimchi and stuff like that it's a traditional product and actually Um, you know and you're you're also bringing your own flavor dimensions to the veg so you're taking something quite simple like a cucumber Mm. and you're changing it with you know the addition of maybe like uh, mustard seeds yeah. or a little bit of herbs or a tiny bit of garlic or something yeah. like that so um, and she again helps with the ratios of that sort of thing so she says no more than three different herbs and spices and that's kind of a general rule yeah which because really you, you don't want obviously if you're leaving something in in a, a brine for a week 
then that's really going to um, it's, it's going to get really intense and yeah. probably take over the flavour of the veg. So you yeah. kind of go gently on yeah. the first go, <laughs> yeah. and then you can add more and more. Um, but yeah, so um, it's a perfect thing to do at this time of year as well because if you think if you're growing anything and you've got a glut, then yeah. get fermenting, then you're yeah. preserving them for, for future yeah. use, and you're kind of changing the way that they'll taste and, yeah. and the texture of the, the vegetables too. And also, if you're eating seasonally, which we hope all of our listeners are, yeah. all of these products will be a bit cheaper as well. So exactly. you can buy in bulk and kind of do exciting things with them. And it's a fun project. Indeed, <laughs> get the family Lots involved. Of different jars, yeah, gifts, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hand over a jar of dill pickles for. But we were uh, just birthdays. saying as well that um, fermentation, preserving, pickling mm. has just become so trendy yeah I mean, a huge trend if you don't have a wall of kilner jars on in your kitchen <laughs> you you ain't a trendy uh, hipster that we think you are i think um, i think these days if you go out and you haven't got some kind of homemade pickle <laughs> slid onto your table by exactly. you know gratis by the restaurant yeah. then you're obviously in a, in a normal restaurant but like <laughs> yeah. certainly a lot of the trendy gaffs down here or um you know they're all about the pickles aren't yeah they? definitely i think again they're just excited like we are about yeah. trying new things and and giving a new dimension to vegetables that they've been using for years. Yeah, so. I think I think we, you know, in the past, pickling has been seen as something that's because um, pickling's quite different to to fermenting. Yeah. Obviously, with pickling, you're using a vinegar-based yeah. brine, so you're you're bringing a lot more flavour to it. Yeah, and that's you know, for some people, I mean, I love it. I'm obsessed with. <laughs> I mean, I grew up on baby beetroots and vinegar, and I My still love them. My mum pickled beetroots, so don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. And there. pickled onions. I know yeah, you're. A fan. I know I'm a big fan of pickled onions. Yeah, yeah. we've got. Um, yeah, we we I think we had a recipe last year, didn't we? Where you did. Uh, cheese croquettes with pickled onions in <laughs> yeah. and it was stonking it was so <laughs> Thank good you. yeah the, the, the very few recipes I've ever done for Olive because I always leave that to professionals with Janine and Adam uh, but yeah I did yeah pickled pickled onion and Welsh rabbit mm. croquettes and they yeah. were incredible yeah they were but pre- I think pretty good. I think in the past people have been a bit scared because it sounds like oh god pickling so what I have to I have to do it and then leave it for three yeah. years until yeah. it becomes but actually I think what's happened recently is like quick pickling yeah so we've got quite a lot of recipes for example I've done one which is kind of like a, a cheesy flatbread with um, mm. quick pickled pink onions yeah, and delicious. pink pickled onions are really at the minute they're super trendy because uh, they use them on like tacos yeah. and Mexican food but they're the easiest thing to do and you can do like you know you can either make a proper little pickle brine for it or you can just toss them with vinegar and sugar and leave them in for an hour and yeah. then they'll break down into this gorgeous bright pink I much onion. prefer them than uh, those to the raw red onions as yeah, well. Yeah, because it takes the harshness exactly. out of it. And so they become I tend a bit to do that sweet. anyway if I'm having a salad. Just yeah. quickly do that while I'm preparing everything else. It literally takes like a few minutes, yeah. doesn't it, just to kind of get that harsh acidity from but them. But I, I had a quick look online I was, <laughs> I was just to remind myself how many pickling recipes we've got and realised that actually <laughs> we're, we're a little bit obsessed with pickling. <laughs> um, we've got um, the most beautiful looking uh, turmeric pickled eggs. Oh my God, yes. Which are incredible. Really so you're making like a pickle liquor and adding turmeric to it yeah. and it just turns bright yellow and looks I've become a big fan of the pickled egg I blimmin love a pickled egg <laughs> uh, I've been known to get dirty white sliced low <laughs> mash up a pickled egg some salted crisps <laughs> crunch them up bit of butter that is see a I've heard good of sarnie. the pickled egg and crisp sandwich yeah. before but I've never experienced Do it, it. It's, okay. it's a special thing and, um, and also things like um, we've also online we've got a pickled pear and blue cheese salad. So again, it's yeah. like 
making it. Um, I think with things like that as well, if you bring a bit of sugar into it, so mm. you, so you like warm vinegar with mm. sugar, maybe a bit of um, mustard seeds in this yeah. case, and then drop your pears in, and you only have to leave them for like an hour or something. Yeah. And then you're mixing them with a the salad and then you get that sort of counterpoint to blue cheese, which is really creamy and rich. And you still don't have that really harsh vinegar flavour because you've balanced it with the spices and the sugar as well. Yeah. Just quickly going back to eggs as well. In our um, August issue that's coming up, which oh, is right, a big Italian soon, issue, yeah. I was just going to say we've got a brilliant, another pickled egg recipe oh my God, yeah. by um, Ellie Kirsch and who yeah. you guys might know is Ellie Pear from Instagram and Twitter. And that's just a brilliant recipe as well, isn't it? So she uses the pickling liquor from a from beetroot. A, a big jar of pickled beetroot. Yeah. So it's even easier because you don't <laughs> yeah. even have to make the pickle no. liquor. You can be the laziest person. I love that. That's my kind of recipe. I know. We call it sort of speedy and simple, her cooking, yeah. but it's, it's lazy for people's friend. And but it's really clever as well. Because yeah. normally you get your big, you know, you get your baby beets, you yeah. eat them all. And then you've got that pickle liquor left and she's she just boils Recycles. eggs and puts them in there. And yeah. it's recycling it and it's yeah. And they look fantastic. And I thought, oh, when we were testing the recipe, I thought, oh, it's just gonna look pretty. I yeah. even have pink eggs and then the beautiful um creamy orange yolks, but actually it imparts a really wonderful earthy flavour as lovely. well. It's sweet. You can taste as well. the beet, yeah, you can sweet taste the beetroot, beetroot flavour yeah. and it works really well, the yeah. eggs. So I definitely recommend you guys having a look in the August issue yeah. too. Um yeah. is there any other recipes that our readers should definitely Oh yeah, I, I I have to talk about just a shout out. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> just one more dirty one for, to, to end on, which is um, when you take a pickle and then you deep fry it, because I'm all about oh, that. Oh, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> so we've got two. We've got two online. One is um, deep fried dill pickle with ranch dressing, which is just hello, oh. incredible. Oh, holy and moly. then we've also got um, deep fried pickled onion rings. Oh my and God. I mean, you know, Hello. who wouldn't Hello, go sailor. for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. as well as that one, literally, I've just printed out, we've got so many online. So like, go go ahead to olivemagazine.com, check them, um, type in pickle into recipe search and, and you know, enter a world of pickling. <laughs> yeah, the joy of pickling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even on our uh, cover recipe for the July issue, which has got that gorgeous oh God, hot dog yeah, and we've got our that. pickled jalapenos deep fried. So Janine yeah, yeah. is obsessed <laughs> if, if it wasn't clear already. And please guys do um, have a go at making that cover recipe too because if you take a picture and Instagram it, you could possibly win some lovely prizes. Yeah, lovely so, prizes. Yeah, thank you Janine. I am inspired to go ferment and pickle. And I want a deep fried dill pickle now. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. Okay. Go to the kitchen, please. Thank you. Thank you. And last but never least, here's web editor Alex talking to Ros Atkinson, aka Her Dark Materials. Hello, so it's Alex here, and um, I'm just sat with Ros Atkinson, who is over from the Cotswolds in London for the day, um, and she's one half of Gibson's Organic Liqueurs, which is a liqueur. Um, business based in the Cotswolds and she's going to chat to us a little bit about liqueurs and how to find ingredients for your liqueurs, how to make them and then how to use them in cocktails along with a little bit about taking photographs for Instagram because Oz has got a very very stunning Instagram account which is her underscore dark underscore materials. So hello Roz. Hi. Thanks for coming up to see us. Not a problem, it's lovely to be here. So you're based in the Cotswolds and so I can imagine you're surrounded by lots of lovely produce um, from the hedgerow and um, lots of um, kitchen gardens. Um, is this where you get your 
produce for your liqueurs from? Yeah, we've got a very small little organic fruit farm in the middle of the Cotswolds, just outside Burford, and all the fruit is grown there on the farm. So we've got raspberries and black currants, red currants, white currants, and then in the hedgerows that we planted as natural windbreaks, there's sloes, and we also get elderflower and elderberry. Oh, so you you make elderflower liqueur, don't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> and so so um, when you're making, for example, you're making elderflower liqueur for the summer and then slow gin f- for the winter. Mm-hmm. How far in advance do you have to prepare those? Because I can imagine it's a bit of a waiting game. Yeah, it's um, about three months for the liqueurs. Slow gin is one of those things that just gets better and better mm. and better. And we regularly find people kind of coming up to us at market saying, I've got a bottle of slow gin from 20 years ago. Oh, Will wow. it still be okay? And we're kind of going, yes. yes. So, yeah, this year's elderflower is quite young at the moment, but it's just about ready to be drunk. Okay. And then, so it, when, when did you pick the elderflower? They were, we, it's just going over now, so we stopped picking a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So it's, it's a fairly, the elderflower is, is made differently to the fruit liqueurs and the slow gin. So that's more kind of like a boozy cordial, okay. which hopefully you'll get a taste of. Yes. Yes. Um, so, um, elderflower season is when, when does that run? Um, it varies in in different parts of the country. Ours is just over now, but I've seen other people still harvesting elderflower. So it's okay. kind of mid May, but you let the flowers just sort of sit for a little bit, so they get more mature and more sort of scent and more fragrant. Is that once they've been picked or on the on the- on on the tree? And there's various theories about the best time of day to pick them and all sorts and we're so lucky because our farm is right away from any roadside so all the elderflower are completely away from any pollution and so it's really they're really crisp and fresh and it's quite addictive unfortunately (laughs) are there any rules about picking elderflower from public places I don't know and you know I see so many a couple of weeks ago there were people just lining the real the main roads with bin bags picking elderflowers and you are kind of going hmm that's going to be diesel flavoured isn't it yeah but I don't know I don't think there are not that I know of I mean it's sort of you assume most people will go down little back lanes and into fields, but when you see it on the main road, you do kind of think, oh, mm, yeah. it's not going to be that nice. No, because it picks up, I, I can imagine it picks up the... Yeah, the, you'd think. And what about slows? The slows, well, last year was a really terrible slow harvest. I don't know what went on, but we didn't have very many, but we had the slow gin from the year before. Okay. This year, they're starting to come out now. They're this beautiful, beautiful green. They look like little olives. And they're peppering the sort of the hedgerows and, and through the middle of the field. And can you find them across the UK? Yeah, varying parts. Again, they're sort of more prolific in some parts of the country than others. So we're really, really lucky. And we cultivated the ones in the middle of the field as, as these natural windbreaks for the other bushes. But there's loads in the hedgerows around the farm. OK, and so... Um... Like you said, with the elderflower, there's um, myths about the best type of day to pick them, etc. Um, with slows, is there, are there any rules? I think there are, and I'm sure they're top secret. Okay. Um, no, I think, I think again, you know, you want to wait for the season to develop so the fruit is nice and ripe on the bushes. So is it going to go a different colour? It does. It goes this absolutely... The slows are a member of the plum family, so they go this beautiful sort of dusky, purpley blue. It's 
absolutely stunning with the, with this sort of dust on them. Oh, they're really beautiful. So if they're dusty, you want to pick them? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I think so. Oh no, that's an expert question too far. Okay, so then once we've got our elder elderflowers and our slows, um, what what are we going to do then at home to create a liqueur? Like, what are your top tips for creating your own homemade liqueurs? So good quality, I think. Um, I think if you're making slow gin, I think the best recipe is always Mrs. Beaton. It's that classic. So that's that's going to be slows and a, a good gin. Although a lot of people say you can use the kind of the ropier stuff and the mm -hmm. slows, they're kind of they're revolting if you taste them on their own. They're so bitter. But you put them in a bit of booze with some sugar and it's complete alchemy. It's amazing. It's like nectar. So I think good quality gin, sugar, and, and you can add sugar at the beginning or at the end to taste, really. Okay. Um, and the slows, and you just let them sit there. And the, the skins are quite hard on slows, so you can either spend hours pricking them with a pin Right. or throw them in the freezer and the, the skins will split. And they'll just burst, okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then... If you're putting them in the bottles, do you need to put them in a certain temperature, like away in the dark? Does it matter? Normally keep them. I mean, that time of year, everything's so cold anyway, sort of october time. Just keep it sort of ambient to cool. Okay. We always kind of, you know, our winery is freezing for most of the year. It's horrible. Um, and there's about two months where it's okay. So, yeah, it's always chilled in there anyway. But, yeah, if you're making it at home, you want slows, you want sugar organic sugar if possible and does it matter if it's white or brown sugar i'd go brown i think okay. it's just okay. nicer yeah. yeah and i think it's um it's going to help the color as well okay and what about the elderflower is that the same process elderflower is slightly different so what we do with elderflower instead of it being an infusion like the slow gin mm -hmm. is and we also make slow whiskey which is oh really good <laughs> I know, it's kind of lethal. Um, the elderflower is more like a boozy cordial. So we end, we make a cordial with organic lemons that we've mostly grown from the greenhouse. Okay. Um, so it's a lemon base? Lemon and elderflower. Okay. And let that sit with some sugar and then fortify that with a little bit of A to V. So it's sort of, it's, but you could use vodka for that. Okay. And, and keep it, again, keep it in a dark place. Right. But it does go down terribly easily. It's yeah. really good with a bit of fizz on a really hot day like today. Oh yeah. So I've I've had um I haven't had your elderflower liqueur yet, but there's some um there's some in the freezer at the moment. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but I have had your slow slow gin and it's as you say, it's gorgeous on its own. It is like nectar. But um I'd like to ask you a little bit about um how to create cocktails with um, the liqueurs because um, I know um, Nightjar in London um, is a fab cocktail bar in Old Street and they have they use your white currant liqueur in one of their cocktails, don't they? Mm -hmm. um, and also, I at the week last weekend I visited Artist Residence Oxfordshire. It's um, so amazing, it isn't is it? Absolutely stunning. Yep. Yeah, I can I can recommend it to anybody. They've got um, it's called Mr Hanbury's Mason's Arms and that's their local. Um, they've basically renovated an, a 16th century Cotswold stone farmhouse and um, created this gorgeous local pub combined with a fine dining restaurant but it's not stuffy at all in terms of fine dining and then um, they have six bedrooms upstairs which will, they've got an amazing influence of like, local artists and um, Brighton artists as well Did you see um, the bathtubs? 
Yes, I actually, uh, uh, I wallowed in the, the bathtub in the, the farmhouse suite. Oh my goodness, I would it's never massive, have left. No, it's this massive, massive copper bathtub and they have lots of Bramley products, which is a, is it Cotswolds based? Um, I don't know, actually. I know but... all, the, all the lovely boutique hotels mm. have those products. Um, yeah, so they're incredible. Um, but they actually use um, your slow gin in yes. one of their cocktails so they use um in the hanbury summer cup and that's um gibson slow gin with east london liquor company vodka um and then one of their ingredients is just garden so i love that because i think they change it depending right. on like the daily like what they can forage from the garden and then um, just topped up with a bit of soda so it's like a it's like a take on pims oh but, lovely yeah that really like surprised me though because um it's a slow gin in a really summery drink. Like, have you, have you, do you ever have a slow gin in summer? Yeah, yeah, we do. It makes a great Negroni, ah. which is an absolute favourite. Yeah. But, you know, there's so many amazing places around us. Quite a lot of them serve our liqueurs. And, and they come up with these fantastic cocktails. And quite often we're kind of scratching our heads going, oh, never thought of that. <laughs> no. I had somewhere in, in Oxford, the Jam Factory, made this amazing thing with our blackcurrant liqueur. And it was blackcurrant liqueur... Uh, vodka, lime, and loads of ice, and a bit of soda, and it was so zippy and zingy. Oh. It was it it was amazing. So there's some great ones in time at Southrop have done a really good elderflower Collins. Oh, lovely! Mm. I bet that's really light and refreshing for too summer. light and refreshing yes. on a day like today. <laughs> yeah. And um, so speaking of like that area, it's absolutely gorgeous like I was driving through there like just it's like like Instagram very Instagrammable it's beautiful Um, so you're a photographer and Mm -hmm. um I was wondering like we've we've not got long left to chat but do you have any tips for our listeners about taking really good um Instagram photos or just photos in general obviously like the world is very much Instagram heavy at the moment um but because your Instagram is very, very distinct in style, um, how would you recommend people to create their own style on um, with their food phot- photos? Well, my style is really dark with kind of moody lighting because my cottage is, is several hundred years old. So and using it's, your resources. Well. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite cobwebby around the windows, which really gives me a really nice kind of moody lighting. But I think the simple thing is a really good source of natural light. So always take, take your photo near a window. And if it's too much glare, move it out a little bit really um fresh vibrant ingredients i think really help i think it's not a surprise that avocado toast with an egg on it looks so good on instagram because the colors are so vibrant the shape is good of course yeah so i think framing is important so you want you sort of think of things in a square for instagram don't you so you've already in your mind you've got a square and then you kind of build it up with colors and textures and all the time reminding yourself this light source is really important and then you know practice makes perfect doesn't it but yeah it should it should just do the work for you then because I know I can see you've got a a big Canon camera here but um most people are taking photos on their iPhones now and I think um it's it's amazing what you can do with an iPhone so and they even have the the grid yes um so how would you recommend people use that grid do you think people should be um aligning the like the products in like isn't it in thirds 
Yeah, I think the rule of thirds is, is really important, isn't it? You have that grid and yeah, if you've got your iPhone, it's right in front of you, which is amazing. But I kind of think yes. in grids and squares. But yeah, you want the food. I think you want it to be this. You want the eye to be drawn to it, mm -hmm. but you can also kind of use things to, to draw the eye in. You can use a sort of zigzaggy thing, using okay. napkins, using props. So is that going off the out? Mm, of the yeah, you can go just slightly, slightly to the sort of one of the diagonal corners if you want. But you know, you're generally thinking, where's the eye going to go? And and that sort of thing. But yeah, practice makes perfect. I think, you know, you take one photo with it in the middle, one to the side, one to the other side, and, you know, you make the call. Yeah. So where do you get your like, produce from when you're shooting? I, I really like Dalesford. Oh, it's yeah. a big organic farm shop. And because we're an organic farm, it, you know, at the moment, their market garden is, is full of vegetables and we've been fruit and vegetable picking there. So their produce is so fresh. It's organic, which really means a lot to us. And it is, yeah, it's really beautiful to photograph. Lots of artichokes and lots yeah. of their strawberries at the moment are so sweet Ooh. and taste like proper strawberries. Good, that's what we like. Yeah, well, if, well, obviously, um, we're not often in the Cotswolds, but um, in Come London, down, come yeah. and do some fruit picking. We <laughs> yeah. need people. Okay, well, if anyone wants to go and fruit pick, get in touch with Absolutely. Ross. Absolutely, um, we'll pay you in booze. Great. Maybe. Mm, that sounds, that sounds <laughs> lovely. Barter system, we like it. Um, so your Instagram account is her underscore dark underscore materials. Yes. So, yeah, have a look at Ross's account. It's lovely. And if you want any more photo photography tips, I'm sure she'll be happy to help out always thanks for coming to see us oh a pleasure alex thank, thank you for having me thanks to everyone who took part in today's podcast and thank you for listening if you liked what you heard and why wouldn't you please can you take the time to review and rate us on itunes so lots more lovely listeners like you get to hear us and don't forget to buy the latest issue in all good supermarkets and news agents right now or you can download it via our app plus there's loads more content as we've talked through at the podcast added by the team every single day at olivemagazine.com aka get involved get tweeting us get instagramming us Pinterest, whatever you do, get cooking, get eating, get traveling, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>